0: Welcome to Regenerative Medicine Today. This is John Murphy, and it's my pleasure to welcome our special guest, Dr. Alejandro Neoponcy, who is a, an international uh, scientist/slash clinician. Dr. Neoponcy is a research assistant professor in the Department of Surgery at the University of Pittsburgh, and he's also a, the surgical associate and director of a clinical translation unit in Buenos Aires, Argentina. Welcome to Regenerative Medicine Today.
1: Thank you, John. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: As I said in my introductory comments, I know that you've uh, been very involved in the development of some interesting and very promising science as it relates to uh, tissue engineering. So perhaps just briefly give us an overview of your scientific collaborations with uh, some of your colleagues in Pittsburgh.
1: Okay, uh, well, I'll do that. I'll try to be brief. Uh, basically, there are two main projects that I am focusing on here in Pittsburgh, uh, trying to promote them and take them to the clinical field. Uh, one of them is actually very close to it, and it's, uh, it's based on esophageal regeneration and, and tissue engineering of the esophagus, and this is a project we are running uh, with Steve Bailack in in McGowan, and actually uh you know he's pioneered this technology for so many years, and I was very lucky to uh, be involved working with him and And when I came here uh, we we saw the the very big need of uh, of a clinical application of this technology and and at the time i I came to McGowan, uh, he had all the technology basically ready to go so what we did together is uh, think of the best case scenario for, uh, you know, taking this technology to the patients. It's a big step when you switch from a preclinical trial to a clinical trial. You have to make sure that the technology is ready and that you do a safe step uh, for the patients so they can benefit from the technology, but, but we don't do anything that is not adequate uh, with the patients. So in that, what we did was... Uh, identifying the best potential application and safe uh, way to translate this application and that was through uh, reinforcing a surgery that is already being done that has a lot of complications and that's radical esophagectomy and uh, it, it, that surgery has a particular uh, complication which is the anastomosis. The, the anastomosis usually leads to uh, leaks, uh, stricture, infections And and it was definitely a field that we could potentially improve by using the extracellular matrix technology that uh, has been commented on on previous podcasts uh, by by Steve Badilak. And using that technology, uh, we thought we would be able to improve all those complications. So what we did was uh, a preclinical trial, again, uh, doing an anastomosis model in a dog. And we had very, very good results. And, and the dogs did really very, very well, and they had no complications, so we felt it was ready to translate. And, and that's what we started doing, and actually we are uh, very, very close to start two clinical trials, one in Pittsburgh and one in Buenos Aires, Argentina, and, and hopefully this will you know bring this technology to the patients, and we'll see if if the technology is as good as we saw it in the in the preclinical trials, then we will be able to move forward uh, with a larger number of patients and for other type of applications like Barrett's disease and and other types of uh, esophageal diseases.
0: Very interesting, as uh, you indicated. Just to reaffirm for our listeners, uh, this particular. Uh, Technology is the uh, collaboration with uh, Dr. Badalak and his team at the, at the McGowan Institute. In in terms of uh, moving uh, clinical science, uh, and in this case, uh, tissue engineering from the uh, laboratory and from through including preclinical trials uh, to uh, clinical applications. I know that you and uh, your university hospital in Argentina have invested a, a substantial amount of money to, uh, to make this possible. Uh, can you just indicate the, the general uh, configuration of your clinical translation unit that is uh, been constructed to uh, facilitate and permit these trials to move forward? Yes,
1: absolutely. Uh, Basically, the the idea of a clinical translation unit came up uh, when we were ready to do some technologies that were very encouraging in the preclinical setting, and, and, you know, talking to other scientists and seeing uh, in presentations in international meetings all the people that had technologies that were ready to be translated, but all the uh, regulatory issues and concerns that were uh, around tissue engineering in terms of cell transportation, uh, you know, if you manufacture a cell product in in a company and then how you transport that uh, back to the hospital or how you take cells out of a patient and and take them out of the hospital back to the company. Those are models that are going on right now, but you know, as a clinician, as a surgeon, I felt the the best way for for cells to, to work is if they never leave the OR. So if you take the cells of the patient in the OR and the cells never leave the OR and, and you can work on your cellularized product and then implant it back again, that would be the perfect case scenario. And it's actually uh, when, when one hard step here is convincing people in the clinical setting that you can allocate a lot of space for that. Usually the ORs are very restricted in terms of space, and people don't want to allocate space that will be underused. And, of course, in, in something that is new as this, uh, we can't expect that there will be a lot of underused time. And and fortunately, I found the, the right people in Hospital Universitario Austral and the right people in research and development, which is a, a CRO organization that actually funded this uh, clinical translation unit. And they were very open-minded. You know, they realized the potential of this technology, and, and they were looking forward to uh, set up a full clinical translation unit for cell culture inside the OR. So, in, in a few words, the structure of the facility is a a full cell culture room next to the OR. There's only one door dividing the OR from this room and another door on the other side of the room. So no one can access that facility if it is not scrapped as for a surgical procedure. And that makes it You know, with HEPA filters, positive airflow. It has all the conditions that a a GMP type facility requires for cell processing. You have a a laminar flow hood and a centrifuge, all the equipment for uh, cell processing. And, you know, this is meant for companies that have their technologies ready to do a phase one or a phase two clinical trial that, you know, can potentially use. This facility and the fact that it, it is within a university hospital. It means that you have all the departments with all the teams and all the patients, and the necessary amount of patients, to translate those technologies. I am a esophageal a, a surgeon, so I am not involved, let's say, in orthopedic surgery or urological surgery, but there is a, a big orthopedic team, a big urological team, and so far, so on, vascular. So we, we can definitely find every spot for those companies to translate their technology. And, you know, the, the, the main goal of this technology and the, the long-term goal of this facility is one day we hope we will move from the clinical trials towards a, a tissue engineering ward in a hospital, and I foresee a tissue engineering ward as some as a place that has a potential capabilities for doing cell work inside the OR, and and you know research and development has put a has a, a big experience on. Uh, clinical trials in Argentina. So we take care of all the regulatory aspects, the submissions, the case report forms, the study design protocols. So it's a, it's a complete uh, thing that goes within the clinical translation unit that makes it uh, so uh, tempting for companies to, to develop the, the trials in there.
0: Okay, let's uh, just step back for a second here. You've uh, described uh, some very important aspects of this technology. But again, for our listeners, let me remind them that in this particular discussion, we're talking about uh, the scaffold technology that uh, Dr. Badalak pioneered and the adaptation of it to uh, esophageal repair. Uh, I remind our listeners that the the basic core uh, technology has been used in, in over a million patients around the world. For various types of uh, afflictions that uh, have been identified where this is applicable. But I, I find it interesting, and I think i trust our listeners will find it interesting to think about just the adaptation of this well-established technology to another very important uh, clinical application. So basically, as I understand this, that uh, you start with a scaffold material uh, that is uh, formed in the shape that you desire, and you harvest uh, s- uh, cells from a, from the patient who is being treated, and you process those cells, uh, implant them into the scaffold, and then implant this uh, scaffold cell uh, combination into the patient, is that correct?
1: Well, that is correct for, uh, for the, not particularly for the, for this esophageal project we are uh, taking now, we are using the extracellular matrix uh, scaffold alone, but the, there is a potential uh, of combining a cell source with that scaffold to promote a better remodeling, and we are on the process of doing that research and that combination with other groups uh, here and, and, and outside uh, the country as well, in order to understand which is the better uh, concept for uh, or, or the best way to to use these technologies. So those are in the basic uh, research step yet they are not uh, on the clinical set point yet. But but the the concept that that, that you bring on top for, uh, for combining uh, scaffolds and cells is very, is very interesting, and, and that's actually one of the main uh, potential applications of the clinical translation unit. And one of the projects I'm actually working on uh, for uh, the use that combination of cells, stem cells, and scaffolds uh, is uh, the uh, blood vessel work that we're doing in Dr. Vorb's laboratory here in, in McGowan, uh, University of Pittsburgh. So actually, when I first came here uh, as a postdoc, that's what I was uh, what I, what I started working on, and, and it's been a, a great uh, a great process moving forward with this application because we are now at the point that we are doing the the animal models, and we are switching from the small animal to the large animal models. And in, in a few words, the stem cells are are being extracted from the animals, seated on. Uh, by the gravel scaffolds uh, and implanted in the in the systemic circulation of the animals, in this case in the rat abdominal aorta. And, and we are getting very interesting results, very good remodeling, and, and that's something we hope in the future also uh, can, can help the patients because there's over you know, a million vascular procedures a year only in U.S., and, and it's the first cause of death in, in the United States and all around the world. So it, it's definitely a, a potential application that uh, I'm sure deserves a, a whole podcast on it.
0: Yeah, I'm generally familiar with this particular work that you describe, and I, I think it has two very interesting applications. One is in generally in bypass surgery, which would avoid the harvesting of the arterial material from the legs of the patient. And the other one that's, uh, to me, at least even more exciting, is the opportunity to use this in children with uh, cardiovascular deformities, whereas I understand the uh, situation Uh, The current procedure is to use Dacron if there's not enough vascular material available. And uh, needless to say, uh, Dacron serves a function but it doesn't grow like a child does. And so for children that face this particular type of situation, uh, they're looking at repeated surgeries to, uh, to keep the vascular material. Expanding like the uh, rest of the child does.
1: Exactly, you said it. That that's the specific uh, application. That's a, the most beneficial one. You know, it's it's children. It's the, the ones that need it most, and and it's really. Uh, a huge implication if we can avoid repeated surgeries in a in a cardiovascular pediatric procedure. So that would be a huge impact. The one thing that that, that it's important to mention that on on the approach we are taking is that by using a very novel uh, rotational. Vacuum seeding device. We're we have developed uh, a very novel method of incorporating the cells inside the scaffolds in a short period of time. Because that's one of the drawbacks that tissue engineering has. If you if you look at it that way, is that sometimes you get you need too long. Uh, of, of a period outside the patient for the construct to develop. So we, with this technology and this device that, you know, uh, Lorenzo Soldetti also you know, developed in, in Dr. Vorb's lab, it, we, we are very comfortable that we can improve the timing and the uh, efficiency and, and, and the user independence of this technology so they don't rely on one particular science, scientist, but anyone can do it, you know, uh, in, in their hospital in any part of the world.
0: Very interesting, and uh, uh, Dr. Vorp uh, intends to join us on one of these future podcasts, and I'm sure that all of our listeners look forward to hearing some more details about the science that he's pioneering as well. Uh, I'd like to return to the, the clinical translation uh, aspects for just a moment. Uh, you've, uh, you've given us some insight into the facilities you've created for patients that need these types of technologies, one of the questions that frequently is asked is how long before it's available for me. So uh, two questions. One is uh, do, do you, in, uh, in Argentina, do you consider uh, patients from abroad? Uh, and secondly, as you work through this uh, maturation of, the, of this technology, uh, when might it be available on a wider basis?
1: okay that's a very good question john uh, we We definitely can enroll patients from abroad it's not a limitation it's not a constraint uh, to be enrolled in a clinical trial in argentina uh, y- You can definitely be a non citizen uh, at this moment. this uh, clinical translation unit is based on clinical trials only it's not given the therapies as a as a treatment as a available treatment in the hosp- within the hospital so we are enrolling only the patients that are within clinical trials. Those clinical trials are available depending on uh, the scientists and the companies that have the technologies ready. So this this process is just starting. We are starting to... Uh, you know pr- uh, uh, expose the the clinical translation unit to to the scientific community we we've had a, l- a very very good feedback so far in the last couple of meetings international meetings and and we are in contact with several companies that have technologies that are really really encouraging and in, in very different areas uh, in including involving cell products but from corneal regeneration to esophageal and, uh, and cartilage is, is definitely a, a b- very broad uh, aspect that can be available to patients. The, the, the main question is when this is going to be widely available. Well, I think we need to be uh, very careful. In uh, First, we, we don't need to raise... Uh, Expectation without something that is very solid. So I, I, I really care for that because I see the patients every day in the office, and it's very sad when, you know, when you build a castle on the clouds and you tell the patients, you know, we have this cool technology, but it never comes up, it never shows up. And, and that has happened in pharmacology before, and it will happen in tissue engineering, and I think tissue engineering is even more delicate because we have to learn patient from patient, there is not a unique model to reproduce uh, these technologies, so we have to do very limited number of patients at a time to make sure that these products are safe, are uh, as effective as we see them in the preclinical trials, and if this means delaying the, the technologies for a wide availability, it might be, but, but I think it's, uh, it's a better outcome that when the technology is available for everyone, then we are sure that we are doing the right thing and we are giving the patients the best we can. Some technologies, I hope, uh, within a couple of years will be, you know, uh, available in terms that you will be able to go to a hospital and you will have a problem and your your primary care physician will say, well, the best case scenario for use, uh, tissue engineering related technology that you can do in the tissue engineering world. And I think we're not far from that. I mean, if you look a couple of years before, uh, even in the tissue engineering meetings, there were no sessions of uh, clinical translation. And now there are uh, thousands of abstracts being submitted to, to every, every Congress and many of them are related to clinical translation of of the technologies in every field uh, i think there's no field where tissue engineering has not made it through the clinics at least in one or or two patients so uh, i think it's a very very encouraging especially let, let me just uh, mention uh, a, a short case uh, relating to the svergel uh, project that we were talking before you know the, the, we we've treated one patient uh, which was not within that clinical trial, which was not w- using the, the, the exact shape of the device that we had. But, but this was a patient that we had treated uh, for, for esophageal surgery and had a complication, had a leak, and it was a very severe leak that finally came up to turn out to be a bronchosophageal a a, a fistula. And, and those are very severe uh, pathologies. They are life-threatening because you know they this patient particularly had a very severe pneumonia and and it was really doing very bad and and uh, the next step was another surgery on him and that that was a life threatening complication a life threatening surgery actually if we had done that surgery we we wanted to avoid that so you know as a as a last quote we said, well before attempting the surgery. Uh, as a compass, uh, uh, compassionate use, we will, you know, try our technology that we trust, that we really think it's making a difference and, and we put a plug of this extracellular matrix material in it, and we were able to save the patient from that surgery, improved a lot, gain weight, and now we are able to, you know, treat that. Uh, he 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 was left with a very small, small uh, communication remaining, but he's now back in work and duties, and we are treating that in in as an ambulatory process. And, you know, this is just one uh, one thing in the in a million patients, but I think those are the type of stories that encourage you to move forward and, and you know keep doing progress in in this area.
0: Yeah, this is this is really you know terribly uh, promising and. Uh... I also understand the appropriate cautions that you've uh, shared with us in terms of moving slowly and carefully and making each step a, a, a very positive one. Uh, so in terms of your 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 clinical translation initiatives in, in Argentina, uh, I, I guess I could summarize by saying that uh, you have uh, two sets of customers. One are potential uh, patients who uh, have an interest and a willingness to participate in a understandably an experimental slash clinical trial and the other uh, set of customers are organizations or companies that uh, have an interest in assessing some of these emerging technologies uh, as uh, as they move forward in, in, in the development of that particular
1: technology. Exactly. You, you made it uh, perfectly clear and right, uh, John. Those are the two set of customers that we have, and, and we're looking forward to, you know, treat our patients and work with the companies and the organizations to uh, promote this clinical translation.
0: I'd uh, like to commend you for your uh, pioneering efforts, both in the development of science with uh, your collaborators as well as your uh, very positive uh, efforts to uh, move forward in clinical translation. Uh, The uh, facility that you briefly described to us is certainly an important and essential ingredient in terms of uh, making these technologies uh, clinically available in the future. Uh, We will post on the Regenerative Medicine Today uh, website uh, some links to uh, the points of contact relative to the science and also the clinical assessment. And I'd like to thank you for joining us and sharing with us your uh, pioneering efforts. I'd like to remind our listeners that uh, you can uh, reach the podcast at mail at regenerativemedicinetoday.com. While our guest is a pioneer in terms of uh, clinical uh, assessment and surgical procedures, the podcast is not in a position to uh, do uh, clinical assessments or diagnose problems uh, over the Internet. I'd like to thank the McGowan Institute for Regenerative Medicine for sponsoring this uh, podcast series, and I would encourage you to join us in two weeks for another interesting podcast. Thank you very much.